Toiling men could ever rob nature of its limitless space and scorching sun and sweeping dust, of its resistless, age-long creep back toward the desert that it had been. Here was grown the most bounteous, the richest, and finest wheat in all the world. Strange and unfathomable that so much of the bread of man, the staff of life, the hope of civilization in this tragic year, 1917, should come from a vast, treeless, waterless, dreary desert. This wonderful place was an immense valley of considerable altitude called the Columbia Basin, surrounded by the Cascade Mountains on the west, the Cordillane and Bitterroot Mountains on the east, the Okanosan Range to the north, and the Blue Mountains to the south. This valley floor was basalt from the lava flow of volcanoes in ages past. The rainfall was slight except in the foothills of the mountains. The Columbia River, making a prodigious and meandering curve, bordered on three sides what was known as the Bend Country. South of this vast area, across the range, began the fertile, many-watered region that extended on down into verdant Oregon. Among the desert hills of this bend country, near the center of the basin, where the best wheat was raised, lay widely separated little towns, the names of which gave evidence of the mixed population. It was, of course, an exceedingly prosperous country, a fact manifest in the substantial little towns, if not in the crude and unpretentious homes of the farmers. The acreage of farms ran from a section, 640 acres, up into the thousands. Upon a morning in early July, exactly three months after the United States had declared war upon Germany, a sturdy young farmer strode with darkly troubled face from the presence of his father. At the end of a stormy scene, he had promised his father that he would abandon his desire to enlist in the army. Kurt Dorn walked away from the gray old clapboard house, out to the fence where he leaned on the gate. He could see for miles in every direction, and to the southward, away on a long yellow slope, rose a stream of dust from a motor car. Hmm, must be Anderson, coming to Dunn Father, muttered young Dorn. This was the day, he remembered, when the wealthy rancher of Ruxton was to look over old Chris Dorn's wheat fields. Dorn owed $30,000 and the interest for years, mostly, to Anderson. Kurt hated the debt and resented the visit, but he could not help acknowledging that the rancher had been lenient and kind. Long since Kurt had sorrowfully realized that his father was illiterate, hard, grasping, and growing worse with the burden of years. If we had rain now or soon, that section of blue stem would square, father, soliloquized young Dorn, as with keen eyes he surveyed a vast field of wheat, short, smooth, yellowing in the sun. But the cloudless sky, the haze of heat, rather betokened a continued drought. There were reasons, indeed, for Dorn to wear a dark and troubled face as he watched the motor car speed along ahead of its stream of dust. 
pass out of sight under the hill, and soon reappear to turn off the main road and come toward the house. It was a big closed car covered with dust. The driver stopped it at the gate and got out. "'Is this Chris Dorn's farm?' he asked. "'Yes,' replied Kirk. Whereupon the door of the car opened and out stepped a short, broad man in a long linen coat. "'Come out, Lenore, and shake off the dust,' he said as he assisted a young woman to step out. She also wore a long linen coat and a veil besides. The man removed his coat and threw it into the car. Then he took off his sombrero to beat the dust off of that. The Golden Valley never seen dust like this in a million years. I'm choking for water, and listen to the car. She's boiling. Then, as he stepped toward Kurt, the rancher showed himself to be a well-preserved man of perhaps fifty-five, of powerful form beginning to sag in the broad shoulders, his face bronzed by long exposure to wind and sun, he had keen gray eyes, and their look was that of a man used to dealing with this kind and well disposed toward them. "'Hello. Are you young, Dorn?' he asked. "'Yes, sir,' replied Kurt, stepping out. "'Well, I'm Anderson from Ruxton. Come to see your dad. This is my girl, Lenore.' Kurt acknowledged the slight bow from the veiled young woman, and then hesitating, he added, "'Won't you come in?' "'No, uh, not yet. I'm choking for air and water. "'Bring us a drink,' replied Anderson. "'Kurt hurried away to get a bucket and a tin cup. "'As he drove water from the well, he was thinking rather vaguely "'that it was somehow embarrassing, "'the fact of Mr. Anderson being accompanied by his daughter. "'Kurt was afraid of his father, but then what did it matter?' When he returned to the yard, he found the rancher sitting in the shade of one of the few apple trees, and the young lady was standing near, in the act of removing bonnet and veil. She had thrown the linen coat over the seat of an old wagon bed that lay near. "'Good water is scarce here, but I'm glad we have some,' said Kurt. Then, as he sat down a bucket and offered a brimming cupful to the girl, he saw her face— and his eyes met hers. He dropped the cup and stared. Then hurriedly, with flushing face, he bent over to recover and refill it. Uh, excuse me, I, I'm clumsy. And as he handed the cup to her, he averted his gaze. For more than a year, the memory of this very girl had haunted him. He had seen her twice. The first time at the close of his one year of college at the University of California, and the second time on the street in Spokane. In a glance, he had recognized the strong, lithe figure, the sunny hair, the rare golden tint of her complexion, the blue eyes, warm and direct, and he had sustained a shock which momentarily confused him. Good water, hey? dissented Anderson after drinking his second cup. Boy, that's wet, but it ain't water to drink. Come down in the foothills and I'll show you. My ranch is called Many Waters, and you can't keep your feet dry. Well, I wish we had some of it here, replied Kurt wistfully. And he waved a hand at the broad, swelling slopes. 
The warm breath that blew in from the wheatlands felt dry and smelled dry. "'You're in for a dry spell?' inquired Anderson with interest that was keen and kindly as well. "'Father says so, and I fear it too, for he never makes a mistake in weather or crops. "'A hot, dry spell this summer. Hmm.' "'Boy, do you know that wheat is the most important thing in the world today?' "'You mean on account of the war?' replied Kirk. "'Yes, I know. But father doesn't see that. All he sees is, if we have rain, we'll have bumper crops. That big field there would be a record at war prices, and he wouldn't be ruined.' "'Ruined? Oh, he means I'd close on him. Hmm.' Say, what do you see in a big wheat yield, if it rains? Mr. Anderson, I'd like to see our debt paid, but I'm thinking most of wheat for starving peoples. I've studied this wheat question. It's the biggest question in this war. Kurt had forgotten the girl and was unaware of her eyes bent steadily upon him. Anderson had roused to the interest of wheat and to a deeper study of the young man. "'Say, uh, Dorn, how old are you?' he asked. Twenty-four, and Kurt's my first name,' was the reply. "'Will this farm fall to you?' "'Yes, if my father doesn't lose it.' "'Hmm. Old Dorn won't lose it, never fear. "'He raises the best wheat in this section. "'Yes, but father never owned the land. "'We have had three bad years. "'If the wheat fails this summer.' We lose the land, that's all. Are you an American? queried Anderson slowly, as if treading on dangerous ground. I am.